Hello and welcome to Back to Basics Birthing. My name is Vicki Hobbs and I'm here to guide you, support you and provide you with information so you're feeling excited and confident about your birth. Birth is an incredible event, no matter how it happens. So I'm here to help you take the fear out of birth through education, planning and preparation. So as you've probably guessed, I'm a big fan of the placenta and the umbilical cord. The placenta really is an amazing organ and has been the lifeline of your baby for the whole duration of your pregnancy. Without the placenta, there can't be any life. Your baby uses the placenta as its lungs, digestive system and liver. Even though your baby doesn't breathe in utero, there's a large vein in the umbilical cord that carries the oxygen-filled blood from the mother to the baby via the placenta. And there are two smaller arteries in the umbilical cord which carry oxygen-depleted blood and waste back to the mother via the placenta. So you can just see how important the placenta is. The cord is filled with a jelly-like substance called Wharton's jelly that protects the vein and the arteries from being compressed during baby movements, during labour and also birth. This is why it's unlikely for a baby with the cord wrapped around its neck to need a caesarean birth because the baby is not breathing through its respiratory system. This is why babies can be born underwater and the head may be sitting there under the water for some time before the rest of the body is born and then lifted up out of the water where the cold air hits the baby's face and triggers the first breath which activates the respiratory system but that's a whole whole other podcast so I won't go into too much detail there. So after birth when your baby takes its first breath blood is shunted to the lungs and the two arteries constrict to stop the flow of blood and the vein collapses. The vein and arteries then close and they become ligaments. How amazing is that? The ones closer to the belly button serve no purpose but the more internal parts become part of the circulatory system. So once the baby is born the next stage is to birth the placenta. So that's what this podcast is about. If the mother chooses to have a physiological birth of the placenta, this means that she waits for her contractions to start again to detach the placenta from the uterine wall and be born. It's hard to predict how long this process can take. Sometimes it's as quick as 15 minutes and then other times it can be over an hour or longer. If the mother has skin to skin and also waits for baby to breast crawl or puts her baby straight to her breast to start sucking, nuzzling or just touching around the breast and the nipple, this will then trigger the release of more oxytocin to increase the effectiveness of contractions to birth the placenta. We want that smell, touch, taste, sound and breast to trigger the release of more oxytocin. So again, um, you know, you've heard me say in the past, we need oxytocin to birth the baby. So we also need oxytocin to birth the placenta. It's so much better if the mother chooses to wait for white. So remember in the previous podcast, we were talking about delayed cord clamping and waiting for white where the blood has drained out of the placenta through to the baby and the umbilical cord has turned white. 
This means the placenta is empty and less bulky and can exit more easily. The contractions will start up again, but usually not as intense. And sometimes mums don't even notice as they're too caught up having that skin to skin bonding with baby, you know, connecting with their partner and, and really sharing in that golden moment of meeting baby for the very first time. So these contractions will help the placenta to gradually dislodge from the wall of the uterus and it's just about being patient and waiting for that to happen. During those contractions, the muscle fibres of the uterus retract and constrict the blood vessels supplying the placenta. The veins then rupture and the villi breaks away from the uterine wall. A clot forms behind the placenta and the placenta side is quickly covered by, by a fibrin mesh. The placenta and the membranes will drop to the bottom of the uterus and then out through the vagina. The midwife will examine the placenta and the membranes to make sure that nothing has been left behind. She will also feel the mum's uterus by pressing down through the abdomen to check that the uterus is contracting hard to stop that bleeding from the place where the placenta was attached. This may be really uncomfortable for mums. So it's important that women are aware that this may happen so that they are prepared for this and know that they can tell the midwife to stop if it becomes too distressing or painful. I always encourage mums to have a look at the placenta once it's been born as it's such an amazing organ and that's been your baby's lifeline through your whole pregnancy. Now, Dr. Rachel Reed from Midwife Thinking states that the birth of the placenta and hemostasis, which is the prevention of excessive blood loss, relies on effective uterine contractions. Ineffective uterine contractions is the main cause for postpartum hemorrhage. She says there are two main causes of ineffective uterine contractions after birth to prevent the placenta being born. And these are one, hormonal, there's not enough oxytocin due to an overload of perhaps syntocinin during labor to induce or augment the labor and two, mechanical. So something is in the way and usually that's a full bladder taking up the space and stopping the uterus from contracting. This is where mums should be encouraged to get up and move around or sit on the toilet, try and have a wee. Um, the midwife will put a pan into the toilet to capture the placenta as it falls out while you're sitting on the toilet. If the placenta doesn't come out, then it will be suggested that the mum have an actively managed placenta with an injection of syntocinin to help get the placenta out. So what's an active management of placenta? So a mother can have a managed third stage, which means that she's given an injection of syntocinin, so that's um, synthetic oxytocin, in her thigh or her buttock, along with cord traction. So that's where the midwife will pull on the cord to speed up the process. I would suggest that the injection is given after the cord has stopped pulsating and has been clamped, because we know that the syntocinin does cross the placenta to the baby. Now, some hospitals still routinely administer the syntocinin injection to reduce the risk of postpartum hemorrhage. So it's important to discuss with your care providers what are their policies and procedures around the birth of the placenta.
Um, now also keeping in mind that if you have had a medical birth rather than a physiological birth, then it makes sense to have an active management of the placenta because all the rhythm and flow of natural hormones has been interrupted. So in her article, Dr. Rachel Reed discusses that interruption of the normal physiological process, which can then interfere with the release of the placenta, which would mean the requirement for active management to prevent a postpartum hemorrhage. So if you Google Rachel Reed placenta birth, then the article should come up um, and is called an actively managed placental birth might be the best option for most women. Um, so that article should show up, you know, first off when you when you do Google that. Um, and I really recommend that you have a good read of that article because it does discuss that interruption of hormones um, where, you know, women have had epidurals or they've had drugs or they've had syntocinin. Um, so that is going to affect the normal physiological function of the body. So definitely have a read of that. But in summary, the article um, says active management of the placenta will reduce the chance of a postpartum hemorrhage in a setting that does not support physiology and in which routine intervention is the norm. There are further options within active management that can be negotiated. Physiological placental birth is an option and possible if you manage to avoid induction, augmentation and epidural or complications. But be aware of how difficult it may be and don't beat yourself up if it doesn't happen. Um, a really good book which outlines how drugs and interventions can in interfere with that normal physiological process is Why Induction Matters. So Rachel Reed again has written that book and that's one of the books that I suggest um, that all pregnant women um, you know, have a read so that you can actually see what things are going to affect the normal physiological process of birth. So it's a really good book, Rachel Reed, Why Induction Matters. Um, I also challenge medical care providers to read this book and look at what you can do differently um, and the reasons why and how you can actually support women to avoid those interventions and to avoid those drugs. Um, Dr. Sarah Buckley even suggests that due to the medical management of the third stage, this medical approach may even lead to many of the problems that active management is meant to avoid. So again, if you Google Sarah Buckley leaving well alone, you will find that article. So in her article, she states, during the third stage of labor, strong uterine contractions continue at regular intervals under the continuing influence of oxytocin. The uterine muscle fibers shorten or retract with each contraction, leading to a gradual decrease in the size of the uterus, which helps to shear the placenta away from its attachment site on, on the mother's uterine wall. Third stage is complete when the mother births her baby's placenta. For the new mother, the third stage is a time of reaping the rewards of her labour. Mother nature provides peak levels of oxytocin, the hormone of love, and endorphins, which stimulate the brain's reward and pleasure centres for both mother and baby. 
So skin-to-skin contact and the baby's first attempts to breastfeed further increase maternal oxytocin levels, strengthening the uterine contractions that will help the placenta to separate and the uterus to contract down. In this way, oxytocin acts to prevent hemorrhage as well as to establish in concert with the other hormones the close bond that will ensure a mother's care and protection and thus her baby's survival. At this time, the high adrenaline levels of second stage, which have kept mother and baby wide-eyed and alert at first contact, will be falling and a very warm atmosphere is necessary to counteract the cold, shivering feelings that a woman has as her adrenaline levels drop. If the environment is not well heated and the mother is worried or distracted, continuing high levels of adrenaline can counteract oxytocin's beneficial effects on her uterus and may again increase the risk of hemorrhage. For the baby as well, the reduction in fight or flight hormones, which have also peaked at birth, is critical. Skin-to-skin contact after the birth will activate the newborn calm and connection, so that's that parasympathetic nervous system, and reduce the stress, so that's the sympathetic nervous system. Lower stress and stress hormones helps, helps the baby to relax and activate the breast-seeking behaviours, also called the breast crawl, that are instinctive at this time. Newborns who experience early skin-to-skin contact are generally warmer as oxytocin helps the mother to pulse her body heat to her baby at this time. Stress reduction with skin-to-skin contact helps to maintain newborn blood sugar levels and general stability. Skin-to-skin contact after birth is also very beneficial for long-term breastfeeding success and may help mother and baby to form a secure bond into the future. A crucial role for birth attendants in these times is to ensure that a woman's mammalian instincts are protected and valued during pregnancy, birth and afterwards. Ensuring unhurried and uninterrupted contact between mother and baby after birth, adjusting the temperature to accommodate a shivering mother and to allow skin-to-skin contact and breastfeeding and not removing the baby for any reason. These are practices that are sensible, intuitive and safe and help to synchronise our hormonal systems with our genetic blueprint giving maximum success and pleasure for both partners in the critical function of child rearing. So please find and read that full article by Sarah Buckley because it's so important that you understand that hormonal physiological process. I highly recommend that you also get a copy of Sarah Buckley's book called Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. It's the one book as well as the one I mentioned before, Rachel Reed's book, Why Induction Matters. Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. It's one book that I say every pregnant woman should read, not only for pregnancy, but also for the postpartum period as well. We have lost so much of this instinctual behavior when it comes to labor and birth. We need to go back to basics and find those missing links. We need our care providers to not just train in the medical, pathological side of birth, but also the instinctual and primal connection of birth. But even more importantly, the mother 
baby connection. Mother and baby working together to birth in a positive, calm, instinctive way. Thank you for listening to Back to Basics Birthing. If you would like to get more information about my childbirth education classes, Hypnobirthing Australia classes, fear release sessions, online course, VBAC education, pregnancy massage or any of my other services, please visit my website at backtobasicsbirthing.com.au.